0: actually a phallic montage of a cucumber like coming into the frame like in a close-up um just creeping into the frame we were just like you know cut after cut after cut that we would deliver to client no one ever said anything about the phallic montage
1: brian smith here and welcome to the dream path podcast where i try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Raika Zetabchi and Sam Davis are on the show. If you're a longtime listener, you probably remember Raika as one of my first guests after I started the podcast in early 2019. Raika had just won an Academy Award for her documentary short, Period, End of Sentence. And despite her busy interview schedule with press from all over the world, She sat down with me at her home in Los Angeles to talk about her film career, how that documentary came together, how it got picked up by Netflix, and her plans after winning the Oscar. As one of my first guests, it feels like Rika is part of the fabric of the show at this point, and I attribute much of my inspiration to keep going, and much of my early success to Rika's appearance on my podcast. When I interviewed Rika for Episode 3, I had the good fortune to meet her cinematographer on period. His name is Sam Davis. After my chat with Rika, Sam showed me his editing workstation and some projects he was working on. As he was giving me this behind-the-curtain look at his process, I had a feeling I would be interviewing Sam on my show one day. And here we are, reconnecting with Rika and Sam on Episode 72. Rika and Sam have a new documentary called A Woman's Place, which is streaming on Hulu. According to IMDB, The film captures the stories of three chefs, their careers, and their shared experience as women in the culinary industry facing and overcoming institutionalized sexism. As each woman addresses the bias, harassment, and misogynist comments they've had to endure, we see how each chef has carved out a place for themselves in the industry. Not as a female chef, but as a restaurateur, a chef de cuisine, and a butcher, respectively. A Woman's Place is a film about the power of playing by your own rules, even when the game is stacked against you. What you'll learn in this interview is that even though KitchenAid backed this film, therefore making the project what is referred to as branded content, Rika and Sam were able to elevate this project into a compelling cinematic experience for viewers, while maintaining complete control over the look and feel of the film, as well as the narrative. I watched this documentary on Hulu and was struck again by the magic that Raika and Sam can work with such a short runtime. They have become masters of the economic use of screen time without skimping on production value or story. So let's jump into my chat with filmmakers Raika Zetabshi and Sam Davis. Sam Davis, Raika Zetabshi, welcome to the podcast. Raika, welcome back to the podcast. Good to right see right you. Now.
0: A year later, the world is looking a little different, but it's, it's <laughs> grateful to here. see your face. Yeah, your hair is looking a little different too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, my my COVID cut. Uh, my my wife wants me to cut it down short, and my kids are like, "No, you have to have that for the podcast." <laughs> totally a podcast vibe. Yeah, no, it
0: definitely works with the whole you know guitars in the background vibe you got sure. going. It looks like you're
1: in a band. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, tell us about your new project a woman's place on Hulu. I, I watched it, but I'd love to hear how you describe it and how that came together.
0: Yeah. So it was a project that um, it was a, a, branded content short documentary that came to us through um, KitchenAid uh, KitchenAid basically came to us and said, you know, we have this uh, problem in the culinary industry where women are faced with all sorts of challenges and, and biases Um and it's sort of like an environment that isn't very welcoming to to women, um, and we also have this issue where, you know, we see like 50% of culinary school students are women, but then you know once they actually go out into the world, only seven percent or something of of executive chef positions are actually held by women. So really, what's happening um, in that process? Um, that's kind of turning so many people away from, from the culinary industry. And so, um, you know, they, they were very interested in like making a film film. So they called it, um, and it, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we want our brand to be very present in this, or, you know, this is, we're going to have our logos or product in the shots, or we want to do it this way or that way. They were literally like, we want you guys for the, the talent that you have as filmmakers just being the creatives and um these are the subjects that we found these are the stories that we think are compelling and we want you to go you know capture the truth and go make um a film film that uh feels like a cinematic journey and feels you know really beautiful and special Um, And we're going to kind of take a step back and let you do your thing. So,
2: And that's a really uncommon thing, too, in the the advertising world. A lot of times creatives feel very stifled in their work on on commercials and and branded content because the brand's hands are, you know, the the brand is too involved and it becomes, um, it can become a really frustrating process. But this was really the opposite of that for us, where the brand from the very beginning was so, um, you know, really empowered us to think big and and try to make something that wasn't just an, an ad so to speak it really doesn't feel like an ad at all but you know a piece of entertainment that, that was good enough to to go to a major st- streaming platform
1: yeah, it's interesting i mean you call it branded content but i did not when i was watching it i had no idea that anyone would call it branded content to me it was just there's a powerful message in this film it's a very tight economical use of screen time And then you see at the end, you know, thank you, KitchenAid and uh, the James Beard Foundation. Right. And and, that's
0: kind of the idea, right? It's like they're aligning themselves with a cause that, you know, they feel as a brand is really important to them. Um, Adding their voice to the conversation um, as opposed to saying, you know, this is like sponsored by KitchenAid. Um, it, it's really just like entering into a conversation and allow, mm. allowing that to happen. And you know, what's interesting is like, we're finding there's a little, you know, it's sort of the beginnings of this, right? Where there's like a trend where brands are kind of moving towards pulling away and allowing filmmakers to go out and make the projects and, um, and, and not having a heavy hand in, in the process. Um, but I, you know, I think like one thing we've observed is that it's, it's really difficult and it's scary for brands to do that, to sort of relinquish that control. Um, cause traditionally, you know, model of advertising is like you have your 30 second, 60 second spot, or even your branded content, short docs or, you know, other, other content that you create, but there's an agency, an ad agency involved, sometimes two ad agencies involved. There's the brand itself then you have the production company and then you have you know the director the the, the filmmakers the creatives that have their hands on the project and um, and it it can sort of get muddied really quickly um, the the sort of initial messaging that they were they were see- going out and seeking but but we were really impressed working with KitchenAid and working with Vox Media and Digitas as the two agencies that were on board this project super impressed with with the fact that they really, you know, they they really walk the walk and they talk the talk. Like they, they set out to do this and, you know, even though there's like 80 other people involved in this project on the brand and agency side, there was never a single moment that I can recall where it felt like we were bogged down in any way or or um, the vision was not being, you know, heard, or I felt like my voice as the director was not being heard or listened to.
2: And I think it represents a really exciting movement in the advertising world away from the very formatted traditional 30, 60 second commercials. I think I think audiences, uh, people are, are becoming smarter than that. And, and I think um, people are looking at content that, that does feel more like entertainment. Mm. So it's it's a it's a really exciting shift we're seeing toward you know away from the thirty sixty format toward longer form you know films that feel like films like Rickie said um, where you don't feel like you're being spoon fed a, right. a you know a brand's agenda. So.
0: There's an authenticity to yeah. it, and that's really important nowadays.
1: So what were those constraints going in? Were there rules that you had to follow? Were the subjects already picked for you, or were you part of that process of finding who the subjects would be, and also finding the story, um, you know, sort of teasing that out of each of the subjects of the film.
0: So this is the interesting thing is like, you know, th- like even if KitchenAid wants to sort of, you know, have less of a hand in in sort of the, the creative process, at the end of the day, like there are certain aspects of – the commercial industry and the the workflow that kind of seep into the project because you have your foot in both worlds um and so so kitchenaid had done kitchenaid and vox had done a lot of the heavy lifting before we even came in onto the project to um to vet and select these um these storytellers if you will these um these subjects and so there was a, a very kind of exhaustive research process, interviewing you know multiple subjects, and they narrowed it down to these are the um, the people that we feel um, you know have really compelling stories, and also together can sort of capture um, a wider look at what women face in the culinary industry. Um, one of them being the butcher, one of them being the the chef, and the other being the restaurateur. Um, and so, so when we came onto the project, we kind of we had those subjects ready to go, but it really became about that creative vision. How do you now tell their stories, um, and and what aspects of their stories do you really um, hone in on? So, so that was that was um, you know really interesting process, and also it all kind of I, I think a natural constraint of working in Brenna Docs is is that you don't get very much time with your subjects. Um you don't you don't get a ton of shooting days cuz the turnaround is it's a lot faster. Um, it's, it's
2: definitely not it's it's kind of the opposite of period where we you know t- time was the thing we really invested in where you know we spent 15 20 days in India or something like that and um and we went and back
0: we, twice to India right. actually and we really right. took
2: our time yeah. to to sort of get to you know break break those barrier barriers down between ourselves in the subjects and especially talking about something taboo, um, with people, you know, from such different parts of the world. Uh, but in, in branded content, a lot of times the because there are so many moving pieces, um, you're, 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 you're much more limited as far as, as far as time goes. Like we had a very honest, we had a very strict three days per subject. Um, which with a documentary is is really not not a lot of time especially when um you know you're meeting your subjects on day one you know and, and a couple days later you're, you're your your time has expired to capture some <laughs> portrait of their of their life and and who they are so it takes you know.
1: you had to talk to family members too i mean you just didn't have a, a subject you were in the restaurant you were talking to family boy, that's a, that's a packed so, schedule. So then
0: it becomes like really important that pre-planning phase, right? Just like ensuring that you're connecting with the subjects beforehand um, plenty of times, ensuring that you have all aspects of their story. There's sort of like, you know, a, an element of like going into it, knowing what the story is going to be and knowing like exactly how you want to capture it.
2: Which is actually counterintuitive to what documentary filmmaking is at least in its purest <laughs> sense like yeah, a period yeah. we didn't know you know we had a, we had an idea that we you know a, a machine was going to be installed in the village right. and they were going to tr- you know hopefully train local girls to operate the machine and then you know maybe even sell the you know sell the pads to other women around the villages and that was about you know that was about the extent that we that we knew we didn't we didn't know any of the th- I mean, I think we had we had talked with you, you had you had skyped with some of the girls from India, but yeah, it was but very, loose very limited. Very limited. And this, we don't have that luxury of getting to sort of like let life unfold in front of the camera. It's got to be more like you know, Reika has exhaustive conversations with the subjects beforehand so that she knows like, oh, you have a grandma who lives or an aunt who lives on, on a on a farm, you know, in rural um, Minnesota, uh, and you know that that would be something that would be it would be great texture for 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 the film that we're trying to put together or oh you happen to be visiting a restaurant space that you're considering leasing out you know <laughs> in, in, during this month and and so it's a little bit more constructed in that sense just out of the necessity of you know, out of the constraint of only having 3 days to shoot right so yeah. it's, it's very different in so almost place.
0: like the simplest way to understand it is like you're you're almost writing the film before you arrive there as opposed to writing the film after you know in post production
2: but hopefully writing it would. yeah but hopefully writing it in a way that's as unobtrusive or, or at least uh, authentic. yeah as authentic as possible so that we say writing what we're really doing is yeah. like taking actual parts of their lives and crafting and putting figuring it together. out how we can capture yeah. them all in a really short amount of time in a way that still feels, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, not manipulative or. or.
1: Yeah, you're not scripting it, but right, you're just right. Making There's nothing sure scripted
2: about it. Yeah, but it's then more about scheduling.
0: But just speaking about scripting, I mean, the, like the one of the hardest things to do when you're there on the day directing when you know you have three days and you know you have twelve-hour days and you're just you know the subject has just been exposed to the camera for the first time, um, and you know has a film crew in their house. It's all of a sudden you you're trying to use different tactics to. Get your subject to feel comfortable and not all of a sudden feel wooden or stiff in any way. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something that that's challenging on these projects as opposed to a documentary where you have time for the subject to forget that the camera is even there and just look right past the camera.
2: Luckily, yeah. I think on, on yeah. A Woman's Place, we were blessed with some really great subjects, not only Itana, Mariel, and Karen, but their families and the people in their communities and, you know, sort of the accessory characters to their stories were all, we got, you know, I think we, we were really fortunate to cross paths with some people who are just really kind of authentic and spontaneous on camera and, you know, who had big personalities that could kind of enrich their stories. Right.
1: I, I was curious on that opening scene with Karen in the car. Was that something you had to learn how to pull off is this this shot where the camera is outside of the car, but you're hearing the audio from within the car. I thought that was pretty slick. And I was like, wow, th- I mean, this is very cinematic and, uh, you know, like A-list director type of stuff. But w- what was that? That was actually like? Sam's
0: idea. He was like, so ex- he was like, we have to do an interview once where we're yeah. outside the car shooting from a car mount. Yeah, we're always look?
2: looking for ways to do, th- as, you know, especially with this project where like, we wanted to kind of push it stylistically a little bit and see you know um how we could make it cinematic and and unique and um we didn't want to do we, we didn't want to depend too much on formal sit-down traditional interviews so we were trying to think of ways where we could have our subjects whether it's like while they're preparing a dish or while they're driving and just sort of in a way that feels like they're almost almost like they're talking to themselves um and so the idea behind that shot specifically was just that, you know, maybe if we just mount the camera to the hood and let let her drive around her her community and and, and kind of show us around, uh, it might lead to a a moment where she could sort of just uh, almost introspectively, you know, kind of just talk and, and maybe we'd get some some little golden moments. So we. We drove around for probably close to two hours, I think. And, and I we're just back.
0: sat in, like, the trunk, basically, with a monitor. We were both, we're both, the right were both <laughs> in, the, in the trunk. And just, DSS, yeah. you know, like, uh, almost, like, having conversations with and myself, where I, I was, like... like prompting yeah, kind of prompting of and saying, like, oh, but... But in a very kind of relaxed and casual way and getting her into that headspace where she doesn't realize, but she's actually speaking really intimately mm. you know in terms of like her tone yeah. and her you know yeah. the volume that feels she's speaking at it feels like it's meditative and like she's just driving down and kind of reflecting on her childhood and all the memories she had growing up in this land mm. um so it was it yeah. was kind of setting the mood for her in that way and then kind of prompting her to you know talk about certain certain things and we actually you know that's some of our favorite stuff I think um, and that's why you see it kind of as the opening of the film and also the another, closing which is another great film.
2: example of the of the of the brand brand giving us so much creative liberty because like the movie starts with like a I think it's almost like two, two minutes minute long, yeah, long
0: yeah two minute un, shot Yeah,
2: of, of her just kind of like waxing a little bit and um, and, she, and it's kind of rambly and probably unconventional to hold on it that long and um but She's talking about survival, uh, specifically in her rural farm community and how the how the weather plays such Mm -hmm. an important role in that. And we just love the idea of that uh, as a as a for its double meaning of um, women, her and the other subjects and all, all women in the culinary industry sort of fighting to survive, especially, you know, during a pandemic. And so we thought that that was a really cool. Which there
0: wasn't a pandemic at the time when she was talking about it. So, you know, yeah. fast forward six months later, there's a pandemic and the restaurant industry is really suffering and the farming mm-hmm. community is really suffering and everyone's suffering, but it sort of added this other really rich, you know, context. Yeah. Um, to what yeah, she was like saying. All,
2: The whole meaning of the film was sort of compounded yeah. while we were cutting it because the... You know the mountain that women in the culinary industry are climbing kind of doubled uh, amidst the pandemic, where the restaurant industry now is hurting even worse, and
0: and the uncertainty of Karin's future and right, the exactly. future of Marielle and the future of Itana is like, you know that there was a moment where we had finished cutting the film and we're like ready to start sending it out into the world, and like we realized all of our subjects were actually at home in quarant like quarantine. And hadn't been working for like four months or something, mm-hmm. um, and that just that just really changed the meaning. I think we
2: yeah. had caught the we 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 had already cut the end of the film, which is the moment, this sort of cl- kind of like cliffhanger moment where Karen, um we see her restaurant, her her prospective restaurant space, and there's sort of this you know hopeful hopeful but kind of unsureness, um, and the end. Uh, and that just took on a whole other meaning, you know, like, right yeah, it came like of,
0: ghosts almost yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. This empty restaurant. Like space. our past experiences, as opposed to what the future might be for Karin. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Going back to that opening shot, I mean, Karin just so brilliantly encapsulated why the town is more complex and layered and the culture is more complex and layered than outsiders would think it shows just how sophisticated she is and the choice that she, the choice to stay where she's at as a restaurateur, um, is based upon a pretty nuanced understanding that, you know, when people say, how's the weather, that, that is not a cliche. We see it as a cliche because these mid, you know, these Midwesterners are, you know, simple folk or whatever, but it's so brilliantly, um, shows you why that this this is an important community to her and and i think that she i mean you sitting there prompting her probably elicited that but she um she did a really good job with that
2: absolutely
0: amazing and that's yeah. where you know it's a balance right and you feel so lucky to have such wonderful subjects that are so like in tune kind of with with the film that you're making mm-hmm. so right i think
2: it was like i said I, we were in the car for two hours but what and we were like crammed in the back seat, kind of. On, I think my leg was like, my knee was like next to Raya's face, and you know, awkwardly <laughs> holding monitors. And but when when uh, I re- dis- distinctly remember when she s- when she said that line that's in the you know that kind of long soundbite in the first two two minutes of the film, we both looked at each other and we were like,
0: our eyes just widened because we knew how profound yeah. it yeah. was and how organic the whole thing felt. And yeah. that's that's right. exciting. And we're looking yeah. for
2: moments that we didn't have to cut into too much. Like, it's easy to, you know, call it Frankenbiting, where you like, you cut, you cut tiny little pieces of of, of dialogue or interviews, yeah. and you and you paste it together so it's just the right, you know, it's hopefully hopefully the perfect line. But we're we're looking more and more for moments where you know we can play out long, truthful, you know, uncut. Mm-hmm. um chunks of life and and that yeah. was so perfect because you know there was nothing that needed to be cut out and it was such a sort of honest spontaneous line
1: as you may have noticed there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes and for many of them we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place our newsletter you can go to dreampathpod.com newsletter to join it's not fancy just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Thanks, and now back to the interview. So, what went into your choice to have this be a pretty visually dark film? And what I mean by that is a lot of shadows. And you know, my my instinct, if I was going to try to be a filmmaker, I'd be all right. Be, let's light up this place. You know, let's get a light there. Make sure she's lit and he's lit. And um, but you guys really lean into the darkness of a restaurant or a home. You're totally at peace with that. And it, it really provides some nice texture that I don't see in a lot of, um, I don't know, I just don't see it in a lot of TV or film or, or documentaries.
0: Yeah, that's interesting you say that. I think a lot of people like are always too nervous to uh, to go too moody with things, but... I mean, Sam can touch on this, you know, because that's your specialty. But a lot of it is like is from a story perspective, like capturing really what these women deal with and experience when they go back home after work. You know, if you're looking Mm -hmm. at Etana, for instance, it's like she's she's in a totally different continent and um, she's by herself and she's hustling to be a butcher, not making any money. Right. Right. And, um, and, and we're shooting all of this in the middle of what, February. Um, so, you know, it was winter in Minnesota, it was winter in Oakland, it was winter in, um, in London. And, um, and, and this is really like their true environment that they're dealing with. Um, and also, I think in, in some ways, um, it helps aid the stories, their stories. Um, and then when you're also talking about the logistics of three-day shoots here and there, traveling shoots um you want to go light and i think there was a decision made early on that we you know we want to keep this feeling pretty organic and use a lot of the natural light that we had Mm -hmm.
2: yeah yeah i think to keep going back to the original point about just feeling you know empowered creatively empowered on on a commercial or a piece of branded content um traditionally like that would never fly you know there are there are so you know, it's almost a cliche to have um, have people from from the agency or, or from the client side saying, "Can know, we just get a little
0: brighter?" Yeah, there's, a, <laughs> there's
2: a shadow over here, or like you know, the half, yeah. like a, a part of her face is is a, is a bit dark, or and that's so frustrating because especially as a cinematographer, you want to be able to you know, you want to be able to kind of push it and be creative and and make it feel kind of painterly and shape the light and. Um, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's kind of our style too, to go a little bit a little more natural and a little more moody, um and, and I think more it, honest yeah. too.
0: I mean, you know, it's like making everything bright so that you can like subconsciously, you know, feel more happy while you watch the film is like very much a a, a advertising thing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I
2: think it helps to like, like i was saying, it helps the overall feel. Um there aren't really like this film is kind of a snapshot more so than like a, you know, it's not, there's, there's there's no plot, so to speak. I mean, there are, there are some stakes in that that we set up and that, you know, women are up against a lot of obstacles, but it's more about tone. I think it's really important with this type of film to, to create a tone. And um, it's almost like our stakes in some sense come from this kind of dramatic cinematic feeling of, um, you know, just the difficulty women face, and some of that, you know, maybe is, is enhanced by the look being being dramatic.
0: Yeah, it's like this weight on their shoulders that maybe you don't even realize, mm-hmm. but like subconsciously, it's making you feel that way. You mm-hmm. know, because of mm-hmm. of the the lighting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and again, to touch on tone, it's like you look at the opening shot of the film. We have an uncut shot on a hood mount. You know, of a of a woman just reflecting for two minutes, and that. Is another thing that like very specifically the establishes the tone of the film. Right, um, right. So you know that going into it, you're not about to watch something that feels very conventional.
1: Yeah, I like it. It it kind of had the same look as Fargo. I mean, like the Minnesota <laughs> shots. I was like, is she going to go to a wood chipper? Or no. I, I, I,
0: Well, I mean, we were in Minnesota in like February and it was literally the coldest place. I think it was
2: negative 20.
0: More than that. It was like negative because we were out in you know, we were out there. So it was like negative 30.
1: What what went into your, what went into your, um, you know, decision-making about how to dramatize the harassment that they felt? Because it, it was very brief and effective, the techniques that you used and efficient, but how did you approach that issue of not being too heavy-handed with it, but you wanted to make the point visually?
0: Yeah, I think it was like having fun with it a little bit. And again, we kept going, we can't believe they let us do that. There's a shot of like a cucumber <laughs> phallic, coming, phallic a phallic, phallic symbol. Yeah, there's actually a phallic <laughs> montage of a cucumber, like coming into the frame, like in a close-up, um, just creeping into the frame.
1: Yeah. And we were
0: just like, you know, cut after cut after cut that we would deliver to client. We I were like, just aghast no when we would anything. get notes back and no one ever said anything about the phallic montage. I
2: remember showing Reku that, because I think I cut that late at night or something. <laughs> and it, And you were like, it's great. They're never going to let us put that. Yeah, in I was anyway. like, that's great,
0: but that's not. There's the, no chance. Like, let's try, but there's <laughs> no chance. I guarantee you they're going to come back and tell us to take it out. And they didn't, but... We always um, had fun
2: with those.
0: It, yeah, it was like almost how can we make it feel a little bit like satirical, you know, how can we just like yeah. laugh at them a little bit? Um it, you know, there there's like moments where the men are laughing and it's just like so dramatic and it's in slow motion and it's funny, but it's it's meant to sort of, you know, keep us moving along and like kind of you know, not not point the finger too hard or dwell too much on, on some of those past experiences. Um,
2: as a, as a funny anecdote, we shot those, we shot those recreations in an open, um, a functioning restaurant (laughs) kitchen and who I think absolutely underestimated what having a film production in their kitchen would look like. And we just, (laughs) and this is a kind of a high end restaurant and very busy. And we, they, they luckily they had two kitchens and we were in what they called the prep kitchen. Uh, but it was still fully active. You know, it, it was not like we yep. were absolutely in people the coming
0: in and out of the prep kitchen, working yeah. in the prep kitchen so while we're So all shooting. that
2: stuff was shot, and it was that that stuff was like pretty heavily lit and yeah. cam and uh, <laughs> it was not small. It was. It was we had girl. like
0: extras and whatever, and so
2: it was war between the, <laughs> the restaurant staff and. and yeah, it was definitely a a, that
0: day was definitely a grind. But yeah, I mean, what we would do is like every every new location that we would be in, we would shoot those recreations kind of after we heard every woman's initial interview. We so we would first. we would shoot the interviews first because we had three days, and you talk about being efficient. Like a lot of it was pre-planned, knowing what the stories were and knowing what recreations we wanted to do. But with that said, we still scheduled their interviews for the first day so that if we got any golden moments that we, you know, didn't even, we hadn't known about before mm-hmm. seeing like a them. towel
2: whip or something. Yeah, you know, like, a like a
0: towel, towel whip, whip right. for instance, we right. or the phallic thing even. We didn't know that was really a thing until it just organically came out, you know, in one of the interviews. So that way, you know, we we the put the we recreations like I think on the third day. And Our so producer we came, back, came to set to with plan. a bag full
2: of, of gourds and yeah. <laughs> cucumbers and, you know, anything that looked yeah. remotely phallic.
0: But it's funny. It's like those are things you have to think about when you're doing branded content and you're doing it on a, you know, a short timeline. You know, those are not things yeah. you necessarily, you know, have to be preparing for when you're doing a doc and, and you're out there for a month shooting
1: mm-hmm. yeah well it's it's totally spot on i mean my first job at the age of 15 was in a restaurant i was a bus boy and i got to know all of the kitchen staff and i can tell you you know the cucumber i mean it's just like you you give a cucumber to um a locker room full of seventh grade boys <laughs> uh and and it's no different than a kitchen you know the, the environment there so you, you were spot on with that and it just it totally accomplishes what you're trying to accomplish which is this is a man's world traditionally and you know when women enter it's like they have been historically uh been expected to just put up with the antics and the harassment but very well done both of you it's just um it's really good to connect with you again I did see I looked at your filmography and I saw a a documentary short called just hold on can you tell me more about that film
0: yeah, just hold on. Sam and I co-directed that film. And um, it's a really little sort of slice of life, short, seven-minute film. And um, it premiered at South by Southwest. Uh, but, you know, it was not in person. It was online because South by Southwest was, like, one of the first major yeah, festivals was to first. cancel. It was
1: the first. I remember because that.
2: Because of the yeah. pandemic.
0: And um, It was, like,
2: a week before, I think. It canceled. was literally a week yeah.
0: before, yeah. And, um, you know, we're so grateful because... It ended up, they ended up doing the online festival and we ended up um, being awarded the jury, a jury award for best Texas short.
1: Nice. Because the film was
0: shot in Texas. And mm-hmm. it's um, just to really, you want to talk a little bit about kind of the, where it came from, like how sure. that idea we, was born.
2: Uh, we saw uh, the film is about a sport called a rodeo sport for children called mutton busting, which is where basically where kids ride sheep little kids like like three to (laughs) three to five-year-olds
1: it sounds adorable
2: (laughs) it's adorable and also um a little traumatizing
1: we i think for the sheep (laughs)
2: uh for both probably the the first we ever heard about it was uh, i think we saw a youtube video or something one of these like now now
0: this videos on facebook yeah Yeah. and so we had this
2: thought of like um you know how cool would it be to feature a, a little girl who's a who's a mutton busting champ and um i think rika found found marley uh on an article or something this little girl who uh had this video go go viral um after she won the houston i think houston rodeo right mm-hmm. um mutton busting uh competition and um, we realized after we sort of fell in love with her character that um and, and her, her spunky personality in this video we realized she also had a uh a really powerful backstory of spending a a lot of her her early life in hospitals. Um, She had, she had brain cancer. Um, She's a cancer survivor and um, yeah, just a really, really inspiring story. And the type of thing that we were after period, it was easy to every project felt very high stakes. You know, it felt like everything had to be very big and, and, and like it targeted toward, toward major festivals or awards. And we really just made this film out of, out of fun. We kind of packed up and, um, Reichen and I and, uh, our producer, Meridah, um, went to, went to Texas just for literally for two days. I think we came off a shoot, flew out that night, shot Saturday, Sunday, yeah, that and was came a fast back one. Monday morning. So it was
0: so fast that we, uh, didn't have time to back up our hard drive. Mm. with all the footage on it and the day that we got back and i plugged in the hard drive to start backing it up the hard drive wouldn't mount and we basically oh my god lost yeah lost everything yeah. everything
1: the um, oh my goodness
2: we f- we were able to recover it but not after not until basically i think doubling our our total budget you know we made the <laughs> film for for pennies and and uh and so you know, we had to pay a lot of money to recover the footage. Eventually, we got it. Got it. I think we got everything back. And uh, we
0: did, but there was a period of wow. like one month where we were just like, "Oh man, yeah. we lost it." Well,
2: we, we didn't want everything. to pay either because it was such a you know it was already such a small project. And yeah. Like, oh, what do we really want? You know, do we want to invest in this? But we're glad we did. It was the type of thing we made purely, you know, for fun, and um we didn't have you know big festival expectations or anything necessarily but we we thought south by could be a good home for it because because of the texas Texas connect yeah it's a very you know it's kind of quirky south by southwest brand type film and uh yeah we submitted we got in and that was a surprise
0: it was a surprise Yeah. yeah yeah
1: i remember when i was in your apartment interviewing you about period and Sam, I I remember you were sitting at the computer and you had all these hard drives and I was asking you about that process and the backup process. And you're like, yeah, we back up to this and then we back up to that. And um, it's so paranoid and for for good reason. I mean, you don't want to lose that footage.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: So what um, what is the outlook for you as filmmakers right now, given what's going on with COVID and things opening up or not opening up?
0: I think you just work around COVID like most people are having to do now. In the last um, couple
2: months, we've last two two months or so, we've we've kind of hit it pretty hard going back to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I work as a DP, so we're we're not always working together on the same projects, but um, we co-directed a narrative short.
0: There's like, definitely like, I think you know we've spent a good chunk of time. Maybe not a lot to some people, but you know, we spent like two years or so working in in sort of the branded space. Um, we still are, and then also, and we still are working in branded content. Um, and then we've spent several years now working in just kind of strictly documentary. And so there's definitely a desire and a push for us to both start um, sort of expanding our horizons a little bit. And narrative was kind of working our, in narrative. Our first.
2: We, we, we went to film school, you know, we wanted to make movies, uh, and narrative films really primarily. We kind of fell into, I mean, period was Riker's first documentary. I had shot a lot of docs, but, um, period was also kind of my first, like, like my baby documentary. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, we're kind of making a, a concerted effort to get more into, um, narrative and so we we shot a narrative short recently that we're really excited about um we're going to start submitting to festivals soon
1: all right what's the name of that film or can you say
0: yeah it's called are you still there
1: are you still there right on
0: yeah yeah
2: so we're staying busy it's the the world is the film world is is slowly and somewhat differently opening back up it's
0: it's opening back up more for like small productions Mm -hmm. you know so like Mm -hmm. you know i've done a couple commercial jobs sam's done a couple commercial jobs um you know we've had our short film production It, it it's um it's a lot easier to kind of manage and control the COVID situation when you're working with a you know a small kind of skeleton crew
1: as opposed right.
0: to working on a tv show or a studio film so yeah. we're not really there yet so <laughs> mm-hmm. um so that's not really much of a concern for us right now yeah
1: great well it's so great checking in with you both and hearing what you've been up to over the last couple of years i'd love to talk to you again when your your narrative uh, short makes it into festivals
0: for there sure love it maybe we do a checkpoint every year
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> we have interesting yeah.
0: things going on for you <laughs>
1: yeah well you guys um, have a great weekend thank thanks Brian alright you guys take care hey thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode if so I have a favorite ask can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review your feedback is what keeps this podcast going You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path.